Welcome to um, a very topical episode of Big Soy Naturals. You shouldn't say that because um, you don't know when this is. That is true. <laughs> but more importantly, we have, um, we've got Ashlyn back finally. Hello. Ashlyn's been stole- yeah. stolen from us by, I don't know, Hollywood. Big Hollywood, um, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But now you're back. Um, if you if you don't know, special guest, recurring recurring guest star. Yeah, Ashlyn, catch up on you your natural lore. Like, you should actually go listen to our last writer's strike episode. But I guess for the the people who don't, people that don't want to do the reading, um, we <laughs> are probably gonna refresh you on that today. Anyway, we're talking about the writer's strike that's happening and Ashlyn is an expert on big Hollywood um how to make it Tinsel in the movies Town, yeah. you um, know, the hills <laughs> the silver hills screen um yeah really really killing it <laughs> like yeah, yeah no um yeah, what else? and yeah what the else writer's strike is probably Tinsel the Town. reason why I'm even able to do this episode because uh since all the writers are striking it's made my nine to seven job uh a little bit lighter uh, <laughs> just a little bit oh man i mean i'm still i'm still there but yeah 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 You're a master of the old razzle dazzle <laughs> it's pretty tough it's tough um <laughs> and yeah just just while while i'm saying that um Nothing that I say is representative of my employers or anything like that. Um, they don't know I'm here. It's fine. <laughs> Ashlyn is, um, you know, one of the screenwriters for uh, Paramount Studios, Sony Pictures. That's true. Uh, I am One yeah. Race Productions. That's the one that Vin Diesel has. Um, kind of, kind of all yeah. of them. Um, um, I- I don't know how you do it in just the short time of nine to seven, uh, five to six days a week, but you've really come a long way since the last time that you came and talked about um, the writer's mm-hmm. strike, where you said you hadn't you hadn't written any movies, but now you've written so many. <laughs> yeah, I should, I should. Wow, it's crazy. I should really be out on this picket line then. Um, yeah. It's embarrassing. But I have to, I have to, I have to protect my identity. Yeah. You know, sometimes, yeah, sometimes the best way to support um, other people's efforts is by staying at home and recording a, and recording a podcast. <laughs> it is. Um, yeah. Doing a podcast um, is okay, doing activism. How short do we think we can summarize the 2007 to 2008 writer's strike? Because I feel like 
you know, go listen to the, go listen to our episode about Dr. Horrible. But also it is, I think, a useful, like, foundational context for understanding what the demands are this time around. What do you think? How do we do this? Um, I mean, I I guess, like, the, the biggest thing, there are, like, some very light parallels, I guess, between the two, because I would say that, you know, 2007, 2008, like, the biggest thing was new media and, like, how to handle um, TV, film, different, like, uh, models of streaming and stuff, like, on the internet, because it was still new. Um, you know, obviously a difference this time is that, like, Netflix and Amazon and Apple are now, like, major players in uh, Hollywood, I guess. You know, like, they produce original tv and film and like distribute them which wasn't a thing in 2007 2008 um but the the like demands and stuff this time are definitely different in that like now now streaming has been around and is like used by everyone and it should be you know enough time i guess to figure out how to translate that into like residual pay for writers and writers currently just like aren't seeing the same kind of payout that they would for traditional broadcasts like residuals which are a huge part of their payment and how they can make a living um in the industry and i guess like in terms of technology now there's of course the threat of like ai and like how that might be implemented what that looks like um, kind of how streaming was really, really new. The AMPTP is really keeping, I think, uh, the cards really close to the chest because they just straight up refuse to even engage with the Writers Guild about what they want to do with AI. Um, and yeah, I, I would say those are the major differences. That's kind of like a little overview. There's a lot of um, details and nuances, but... Mm-hmm. That's as short as it's going to get. Yeah, the I mean, the last, like, major... Yeah, the... I think, you know, listen, listen yeah. to our other episode on well, the 2007 I mean, writer's strike if you need more information. If but we can I, do, like, last, a comparison... Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it's okay. But if we could do, like, a comparison and contrast between, like, the 07 and, like, now, like, I think one of the big, like, examples that... Um, I saw when looking up the stuff for our last episode on the uh, 0708 writer strike was like they interviewed some staff members of like The Office, which was like one of the biggest shows at the time. Um, and the writers had been brought on to um, write a bunch of like webisodes, um, which is what people called like, you know, web series and um, web related media having to do with TV at the time. Um, that they were putting on like YouTube and on their and on like their official NBC websites, um, and they weren't getting fairly compensated for those. And like you see that in comparison to like what's happening now, which is that all shows are on streaming networks. Like there is not a show that I can think of that um, hasn't at least at one point in time been on a streaming network, including shows from like before streaming even existed. Um, and those writers are getting paltry residuals on the, those streaming shows. Like you can see on Twitter right now, a lot of people are sharing some of their checks that they've gotten for res- residuals and it can be up to like two cents. 
you know um that's how like ridiculous and paltry some of these like and that's for the whole show it's not just for like a webisode that they wrote on right it's for everything um and the streaming services themselves are being very cagey about how viewership is um be like how viewership is like measured and um documented um in their systems like netflix doesn't really tell anybody it's like very proprietary knowledge as to like what is done um so like the comparison would be like between how it was just kind of started streaming was just kind of starting out and now it's just all encompassing right um that it used to be just, okay, well, how are we going to measure this from here? And now it's, well, it's been around long enough that you guys should have figured this out already. Um, and you didn't, <laughs> and you didn't bring us in when we, when we asked to be brought in at the, at the beginning. Yeah. Um, right. Well, and it's been a very long time since um, like writers and like workers in Hollywood have like made their demands in this this way like that the 2007-2008 writers strike that was the last major labor action that Hollywood um had and that is mm-hmm. now over a decade ago so um this i think is sort of a long time coming in that things things have gotten worse since 2008 um and in terms of like what led to the strike uh part of it is just that like the the studio executives were not really forthcoming um with like coming to the to the table at all with like any responses to the demands um yeah i think so like i guess what what led to the strike the first thing is that the uh wga members which is the writers writers guild of america they voted in mid-April to authorize a strike um, when the contract expired, where the previous uh, bargaining agreement expired, which was on May second, like at midnight. Um, and the strike- May first was yeah the deadline, yeah when it expired, and then um, they actually called mm-hmm. for the strike like a couple hours before it actually expired, but it went into effect like at midnight on May second. Yeah, and. That, um, like, strike was authorized in the event that, like, the proposals that the uh, union, like, went to uh, the studio executives with, like, if if there was no response to those or if the responses, like, wasn't satisfactory, then the strike would be approved. And this was really, like, I've, I've not seen in my, uh, like, lifetime or my time like observing the labor movement a strike vote that gets authorized with 98 percent of like eligible voting numbers um typically there's like a much larger margin of how many people are not interested in going on strike and that doesn't even mean that they don't support the union's goals but just that going on strike is scary like you can potentially be without income Mm -hmm. you can damage relationships um, you know, all all of the things that someone might be worried about. And so people that there's usually like more holdout than that. And I think that you can see from how many people agreed to authorize the strike in, in the event that their um, like demands weren't met or, or I guess that there, that there wasn't an interest in bargaining in good faith um, that that many people were, were down is, I think, telling with how how bad 
how bad things are. Because, yeah, the, the vote was 97.85% in favor and only 2.15% opposed. Yeah, it was something like 9,000 people voting for and like 200 voting against. Yeah. Yeah, a paltry amount of people who, you know, and th- that doesn't mean that they're bad people, again, as Virgil said, or that they don't believe in the goals or want things to be better, um, but that it is really scary and you can get fired while striking. Um, so, like, you can lose out on those relationships, you can completely lose out on your career, even if um, things are met and you go back to work. It's um, like, um, yeah, like, one thing that um, people think might happen during this is um, studios using it as an excuse to invoke like force majeure clauses in like overall deals, um, which basically is just like, yeah, in the event of a strike or something that interferes with, um, you know, this deal that they had for, you know, if it's like over 30 days or whatever, um, they can just cancel the deal outright. Um, so, I mean, that that generally affects, you know, upper level writers, not necessarily like um, a lot of the lower level writers or anything. But uh, still, I mean, like there are plenty of people that sign deals and we're trying, you know, or like just starting rooms and stuff or maybe like people who finally got you know the opportunity to be on a staff or anything and then um here comes the strike and like you don't necessarily know what is going to happen with your show but you know of course it's it's better to stand in solidarity with everyone else than to necessarily just act out of your own self-interest of course yeah well and like speaking of people that would be affected it's it's more than just writers too that are affected by like industry standards and working conditions i pulled this from a 2021 um research report by the motion picture association but the um stat is that like there's 800,000 uh 822,000 direct employees like of the uh, motion picture industry. And so that's like everyone from writers to people who work in like film productions to crews to like, it's, it's everyone. And then beyond that uh, it's 2.4 million jobs like that are supported um, by the film industry. So like when one group of workers are experiencing like exploitation and a lot of hardship, like other people and their work conditions are affected by that. But it also means that there's like consideration sometimes by people in the, in the union of like, how much do we want to rock the boat? Because they are often the ones that are going to be blamed for if um, anything involving right. like these other uh, sectors of work are affected. Um, Cause of that, like, 822,000. The Writers Guild Association has 20,000 members, but it obviously has a very huge impact on uh, the like film and television industry, because what do you have without writers? You've got like, I don't know. You've got, you've got the WWE. Yeah. Which still has I mean, even the WWE, I'm sure. (laughs) They're not not in the WGA. Yeah. They're just not in the WGA. And it's the same with reality television writers. You know, they're not in the WGA. But those are like, and you can see now that Netflix has um, started 
outsourcing um, to reality television in different countries. They're starting to um, ask, you know, writers in in South Korea and other places. Thankfully, there has has been, like, a lot of different um, international guilds um, and unions coming out saying, like, hey, don't cross the picket line um, to take a job in the U.S., which, I mean, in general, yeah, like, if you if you want to have any kind of longevity in a career like in the US and Hollywood, like if you take a writing job during a strike, then yeah. you will be blacklisted in the future from joining the well, union. And you'll be setting, you'll be setting a clause, uh, you know, and a precedent, you know, later on um, for people in your country to be exploited. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're setting up a precedent that um, you will take this money for uh that like for very little um probably even less than um what writers currently in los angeles are getting um and taking that and running with it and that sets the precedent for these movie studios to be like well okay we can just keep outsourcing and we all know how outsourcing works and goes and how it is exploiting people everywhere across the world so um, and you see this with like CGI houses and animation studios, right? They're outsourcing to these different countries in other places for so little money because like big studios like Marvel, a lot of these other like smaller in-house animation studios and CGI studios don't want to work with them anymore because the work conditions are too poor. Um, like they're just asking them to make last minute changes like days before the re- the premiere and it's just not feasible. Um, and they, ha- even though it's, you know, a huge connection, it's the kind of connection of like, well, like weighing our pros and cons, we simply can't meet your demands. Yeah. Like they are just too and, like, difficult. That's like a thing that's happening with writers rooms and stuff in that they, mm-hmm. you know, keep lowering the amount of uh, episodes that they're ordering in a season. So then they're requiring less writers um, to write them. But that doesn't necessarily mean that just because, you know, it's 10 episodes of a TV show that you only need like three or four writers. It's just that like they are bleeding them dry to get them to write all of these episodes or, um, you know, convening these mini rooms, which are like kind of a loophole, like generally before a TV show is greenlit. Um, they have these writers who are also generally like upper level writers, but they hire them at scale. So like the bare minimum um, to like break the stories or get kind of like a proof of concept for a TV show. But that doesn't necessarily mean that anything will become of the show or that um, those same writers will even get hired to write on the show later. Um, yeah, it, it, it's just, they're just, you know, like trying to find as many ways to kind of cut costs and not have to pay a human being to write a show, um, which is, I think, one of the reasons that the WGA is looking to get staffing minimums for TV shows, which also helps to train up, like, the talent pool of, like, lower lower level writers who don't get the opportunity to like be in a room and learn how to be a writer or like work their way up to showrunner could i ask you to just outline for like the listeners like what a normal healthy writer's room would look like in terms of like the staffing Um, well Um, i mean like it's it's hard to say now because it's just like the like 
since I've started working, you know, rooms are a lot smaller than they would have been in like the eighties or nineties. Um, when a, uh, like a broadcast, like sitcom on like ABC, CBS would have like a 22 episode season. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there, there are still some shows, um, like the longer running ones, like an NCIS or something, or like Abbott elementary did get like a 22 episode order. Um, but that is so much rarer now. Um, but what that would do is that would allow, you know, there to be a larger room um, to take their time to like break the episodes of the season. Um, it would allow for writers to be on set during the production. Um, that's one of the things that happens during a strike is that writers aren't allowed to be on set. Obviously um, there are no, changes that can be made at all to a script um there's a lot of like punch-up that happens uh on set um that's pretty crucial yeah i don't Um, i know that you know you said that we shouldn't we shouldn't talk about your employer on the episode but yes (laughs) like (laughs) people might not know that you are you are one of the screenwriters of ted lasso (laughs) Which is one of one of, one of the these, greatest show of all time. One of these like newer, you know, streaming only TV shows that are coming out only ten episodes per season. Can you Stop. tell me a little bit about like what the writers' room inside Ted Lasso is like? Like, do you feel supported creatively? That is that is highly confidential. Um, I it is it's really I I can't believe you asked me that. Like that. I mean, I know the show is very positive. It's about positivity. Um, but you know, I, I I don't think I feel comfortable speaking on that. I don't know <laughs> what kind of retaliation I might see from my employers, um, Mr. Ted Lasso himself. <laughs> um, okay, so maybe not the most creatively supportive environment, which is surprising because I've I've watched every episode and oh, the, wow. the writing the writing it like the the dialogue for someone who hates visual media you well, love, I love Ted Lasso, Lasso. Ted Lasso is I love supporting one fan. my friends like I'll I'll say that I did start just watching <laughs> it like in initially to support Ashlyn but then I got hooked <laughs> by by Ted and Joe and Lasso <laughs> yeah and who can forget the episode where he lost his lasso and and then the whole the whole team they they helped him find it and it it was really you know it was it was beautiful it was art um inspiring yeah can i ask can i ask as a ted lasso lore connoisseur what sport does the team play on lasso oh, um, uh, soccer i know this but but okay, yeah, that's okay, a trick okay. question play, because uh, in some countries they call it football. <laughs> so okay, mm-hmm. um, in this in this country in which the, the true fan Ted Lasso moves to, in fact, mm-hmm. they call it football. Yeah, um, <laughs> I wanted to go through some of the WGA pattern of demands. Uh, there's there's not that many, but um, I think that some of them would be more like relevant or like uh, harder for people that are not. Um, like a, a writer in, in Hollywood, not not part of the Ted Lasso team <laughs> to understand. Um, and I thought maybe we could do a thing where like, you know how in the Fast and Furious, Ludacris, he says something about like cars and then someone else goes like, uh, in English, please. 
And then he, he says it again. Um, <laughs> and it makes more sense. And I thought maybe we could do a little bit of that because some of this made sense to me. And some of it was a bit confusing. And you do have the authority right. of being head head writer on Ted Lasso <laughs> um, <laughs> to, to pull on. Um, and for people that don't know, like a pattern of demands is not necessarily the like, what is going to end up in the like minimum bargain or minimum basic agreement or like people's contracts, but the like basic set of principles that union members voted on um, that like in the bargaining rooms will be like negotiated over. And so this is what people like we're in agreement on over like what they want their representatives um to be pushing for. And so maybe they'll get all of these things. Maybe they'll get all of these and more. It's like, this is just like the, the basic set of things. And this was also approved with a 98.4% yes vote, which is crazy. Um, like that's, uh, it's, it's just like very rare that you see that kind of consensus. Um, but the first one is increase minimum compensation significantly to address the devaluation of writing in all areas of television, new media and features. What's that mean? It means everyone gets paid um, more, right? <laughs> yeah. Pay, paying people more, um, especially, you know, in the last, uh, the last decade or so um the amount of writers being paid at scale has increased pretty dramatically um it's generally like you know the higher up you go um like as a writer like you know you start as a staff writer and then work your way up to like producer executive producer all of that um your representation is supposed to you know negotiate for more than the minimum but more and more studios are being like, we don't have the money, Aww. like, you know, whatever, because... Where'd it go? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. It's like Ted Lasso. So you know, sad. it disappeared. Yeah, it went missing. Um, oh my god, it just, it's just gone. Yeah, so I think it's just, you know, at that part, because it's kind of tied to the second part of the pattern of demands, um, but like, it's just, yeah, increasing base compensation for writers. Okay, that makes sense. What about standardized compensation and residual terms for features, whether released theatrically or on streaming? So, yeah, that's basically, you know, allegedly, 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 Netflix is one of the big holdouts in negotiations, and they pretty much straight up, like the AMPTP in general, like pretty much straight up refuse to talk about, like, releasing viewership data for streaming in mm. netflix like we mentioned previously famously does not release like their actual numbers like they'll release stuff like 696 million minutes watched of you know whatever <laughs> fucking tv show movie that they put out but like for the most part it's pretty opaque like how these things are decided and then you know suddenly we've gone to streaming we don't have like a very uh, transparent way of deciding how people are paid residuals. And that's how you end up getting writers who are getting checks for like three cents for TV shows that they've written on. Um, so that's like a pretty huge part of all this. And that's the thing that is also affecting the DGA and uh, the actors in, in SAG. Like they have also seen a dramatic decrease in residual payments because 
these streamers like refuse to say how they're calculated. Mm. What about ab- address the abuses of mini rooms? What's a mini room? What's happening to people in so, there? Yeah, that's <laughs> that's I, I did mention that I think like a little bit earlier too is um, they'll basically instead of paying writers that they hire to like staff and like develop a show, like have them break the episode. So like kind of go through the whole season, decide like what is going to happen over the course of the season. And then like how that translates into each episode. Um, They're having, you know, a smaller amount of writers, like just a few all paid at like minimum because they're kind of avoiding these, staffing loopholes um to put together like to break the season basically um ahead of whether or not they even know if the show is going to like be made to be greenlit Hmm. um and it just kind of saves them a little bit of money um yeah and those writers might not get to work on it again you were you were mentioning before that it kind of severs the talent ecosystem in terms of like a writer's room, like newer writers are not given the chance to uh, come on to a set. Um, Cause usually like a staff writer will have like one or two new writers or maybe even like three yeah. or four um, come on to do, you know, punch up and edits and maybe they're even their own and, episode. Um, yeah. It's also a thing that like, you know, you, you, that is one thing that they seem to have agreed on is that staff writers can get a, a episodic fee. Um, when you write, like when you see a TV episode and it says written by so-and-so, they're the ones getting the actual script fee, even though the whole staff like helped write hmm. the episode, but it's like the, the person who gets their name on it, like sat down and like, wrote the script it's just I like ted lasso um, where like he's the coach but like the team like the team has a lot of guys on it right and they exactly. all they all helped mm-hmm. him find just because one guy lasso. like scored scored this a football team cannot score with yeah, three exactly. guys that's what i love um, about ted lasso is like you know there's like so many situations in it where it's like it's applicable to real life I think that's why mm-hmm. that show is so successful and why it's made me millions of dollars <laughs> as its creator and um, head writer. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what you're striking for. Yeah, I mean, I'm totally not. Uh, you should care about the writer. That's why I'm not on the picket line right now. Um, mm-hmm. Because this doesn't affect me at all. Uh, um, the next thing is ensure appropriate television series writing compensation throughout the entire process of pre-production, production, and post-production. That seems like pretty self-explanatory, like the same as the first thing. Just get make sure that people are getting well, paid yeah, fairly. Yeah, they're cutting people out from the process where, yeah, like they have writers throughout the whole process. But now it's like they will only pay for like maybe one writer to stay on, like usually the the showrunner um, to kind of guide the whole process. And um, that leads to them working for many weeks outside of uh, what their actual agreement or like, you know, contract is for. have them do like extra work on the side and everything that isn't necessarily compensated. It's just like expected to get done. Well, that sounds bad. 
You never want to uh, yeah. do extra work, work for free. Work on the side. Yeah. Terrible. Um, the other is increase residuals for undercompensated reuse markets. I think I understand increased residuals, but I don't think I know what a reuse market is. Um, I mean, honestly, I'm like, I don't really know what they mean there. Mm. Uh, I, I think that's just like, just in second run, like just in syndication, I guess, but like in smaller markets, smaller places. I don't know. Like, yeah. Maybe, maybe it, it might possibly be smaller streaming services. I did. I do know that like when I worked with like, um, like few, I, I shouldn't say their name. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> when I worked with a television mm, network, uh-huh. unnamed, um, Apple TV, they, uh, would like buy up streaming rights to um, like smaller shows, like even like song genius, which you can watch for free on fucking YouTube. Um, And then they would like blast their shows on like Tubi and like the Roku channel and like, you know, things that like aren't necessarily like the big streaming Titans, but do still bring in a profit. Um, And like, like usually a television network will just like blast them everywhere that they have a contract deal with. That also sounds Um, like, I assume that a reuse market might be, might be one of those. Like if your, if your Um, show is playing somewhere, like you should be getting a residual from it and they might have it in some far flung weird place. And you're like, didn't know it was here. They make so many like streaming channels now. And I, I was trying to watch season one of are you the one the hit mtv reality dating show from from 2014 and it's not anywhere and then i have you have to go look for it on streaming which like i should i just i just ended up having to tour into they did no one got my five dollars but it's i found out that there's so many channels now there's there's like to to be and Fubo, you're definitely mm-hmm. like the seeing <laughs> Fubo's the, big like, one. Yeah, the rise like increase in they're called fast channels. Mm-hmm. Um, it's free ad supported television. And, um, and like now you know like Amazon has like freebie, just like all of these little things mm-hmm. that yeah are have ads on them. You know what else like is fucked up? In regular ass cable, cable <laughs> Another TV. Thing that's really fucked up <laughs> is that for people who happen to want to watch sports maybe you want to you want to watch all the eagles games there is no streaming channel that just has football you have to be on like a bunch of different ones and then and then they only mm-hmm. have football sometimes yeah you have to pay for like an internal different subscription service like hulu has like a or hulu I have to live go pay for like yeah allows you to like buy disney Plus yeah, ESPN Hulu. Plus, Showtime yeah. Plus. Damn it, no yeah. one's just got so football. Shit. You yeah. gotta go to a bar or buy it's cable. Like, <laughs> half of these like like internal subscription services you find on like Hulu or like other streaming services, like it's just because the company that owns both of them like has just merged them both, but you still have to pay separately. For like the Showtime other? Plus, and it's like okay, but well, if I'm paying for Hulu, why the fuck do I need to pay for an additional like nine ninety nine in order to get this like internal service inside the of other Hulu thing? rather yeah. than even just like the paying for an external thing app? That I would like to draw our attention to that was drawn to my attention by my friend, uh, 
I'm going to call her baby, baby Swayze. I don't know what she goes by on online, but she texted me and she said, I think they're fucking for real on Tubi. And, uh, (laughs) and, and so I went and I, I I looked um, at some of the Tubi uh, originals and I think that they might, they might be having sex for real on Tubi. I think that they might be like the (laughs) sex scene equivalent of a snuff film. I I mean I would recommend checking it out would, for yourself and and uh, letting me know. Do you think that they're having sex for real? Oh, I wouldn't I be think, surprised if they're making softcore. To be, we're fucking raw. I think that's I think that's a free <laughs> that's a free slogan for them. <laughs> <laughs> to be, we're we're not your mom's freemium yeah, channel. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay, what else is left? Oh, restrict and compensated use of excerpts. Uh, what's an excerpt? I have no idea what this means. Okay. I'm, I'm just assuming. Clips? I'm just assuming. You know, like any any part of a thing that is written, if it's just like an excerpt of like a TV show or like a script or whatever, like they can't just repurpose it for something else and not okay. pay you. Since well, you according the wrote it. to the Writers Guild of America website wga.org, which is also where you can read all of these demands if you're interested. An excerpt is uh, the use of any portion of one television or theatrical project in another television or theatrical project. So that's what you were saying. Um, it's like a, a like yeah, not. Uh, it says that excerpt payments are not due in the following instances, which is like trailers, news, or reviews, but other things like TV projects, theatrical projects. If there's an excerpt, then there should be compensation. Like- like, let's say you have two movies owned by the same company and then in like diegetically in one of the mo- in one of the movies, your a clip from your movie that you wrote on gets like played on like the TV that a character is yeah. watching. Like, oh, ho, ho, we own both of these. Isn't that cute? Um, but they don't get paid yeah. for that. Like that exactly would be considered, I think, an uncompensated use of yeah. their excerpt. OK, and then. um the other one, which we're going to talk about more in a bit, but is regulate use of material produced using artificial intelligence or similar technologies. And then the last is increase contributions to the pension plan and healthcare fund, which I think should that should make sense to everyone. Pretty even straightforward. If, yeah. Even if you're not the head writer of Ted Lasso. Um, and then all of this is for the minimum basic agreement, which is if you're in a union, you probably have a CBA and not a, an MBA. Um, I think that this is something that it's not unique to the like film industry, but it makes a lot more sense for industries of this size than it would for um, like typical labor unions. Um, a minimum basic agreement is like a baseline that is negotiated on behalf of all workers in the union. But then you might have a CBA in addition to an MBA, although not everyone will. If workers like unionize um, a new shop and they join the WGA or if they are uh, if they if they feel like they need an additional contract with like additional protections on top of the MBA. Um, which might happen in some cases. Like uh, I was reading on the WGA website that if you are working on like a podcast and you um, 
unionize and you join join the WGA, like you might want to have a CBA on top of that because there's going to be conditions to your work that are um, separate or like not um, considered in the minimum basic agreement. So that's what that's that's something that I learned. Um, something that the the WGA said in its statement when announcing the strike was that the survival of writing as a profession is at stake in this negotiation. Um, and sharing that many members who previously made a good living are finding it much harder to do these days. Um, it went on to say driving in large part by the shift to streaming. Writers are finding their work devalued in every business. While company profits have remained high and spending on content has grown, writers are falling behind. The companies have used the transition to streaming to cut writer pay and separate writing from production, worsening working conditions for series writers at all levels. Um, and then it went on in the strike declaration to say that the AMPTP is trying to create gig economy work out of what was once uh, full-time careers. And I would say anecdotally, the people that I know who work as writers more often than not find freelance gigs rather than like paid, um, like salaried employment, um, like jobs. Um, mm -hmm. And that seems significantly like more common than it is to just find like a like a normal job where you get paid to write and not some like weird freelance thing. Oh, yeah, it's it's very common now for like a lot of creative work, especially to no longer have staffing positions. And like, to be clear, um, I'm not saying like everything back in the day was so much better, especially for people who weren't you know, uh, white men, especially in the industry of TV writing, you know, it was pretty easy um, as like a okay, white man to be persistent enough Kendall, and, and bugging. <laughs> haven't you heard about the but, golden age of Hollywood? <laughs> oh, yeah. All those like uh, hit and runs they that were covered up. They called it a golden <laughs> age if it wasn't good. <laughs> it was so good. But, you know, I just like to be clear, like no one is saying that like Back in the day, everything was so great. Let's just make writing great again. It's more just that, um, like, especially, like, as we talked about in our previous episode with, like, the 07 and 08 writer strike, a precedent was set by numerous circumstances um, that, like, workers and laborers should not be included in the compensation for um, their work that they produced. And um, that's something that needs to change. It's not that like, like, obviously, this job was a lot different and a lot more stable, but also like it can be improved upon as yeah. well. Like that it, past day can be improved upon and given even better Because it's like, you know, I think it, people think, seem to think that there's like one specific way that everything has to work in the industry. Um, but it's really that like, there's a way that the status quo, I guess, prefers that it works because it works for the studios and the networks, but it's incompatible with the needs of the people who are actually creating the product and like, you know, making their, their existence possible. Um, the writers are basically asking for the equivalent of like $400 million a year um, from these companies that are 
crying poverty, but also telling their shareholders that they're making these incredible profits and they are profitable. Um, they can definitely afford to pay, <laughs> pay the writers like what they are owed. And, you know, it's easy to see, like, especially for even like lower level writers, because yeah, there are some upper level writers who get like pretty, pretty good deals, pretty good pay. But, you know, for staff writer or even like two, like one or two levels above staff writer, you might only be working like 20 weeks out of the year. And even though the rate looks pretty good on paper, that's before taxes and that's before you pay your agent, your manager and your lawyer. So that can be like 60% of your pay. And then you're, you're earning like a pretty average wage after all of that. And then also having to afford to live in Los Angeles or like New York city. Um, and it's just like impossible to survive. Yeah. And then on top of that, you think about like, if some of these people are freelance or even if they mercifully are offered benefits through their job, that's taken out of their paycheck, Mm -hmm. you know, health Mm -hmm. insurance, things like that. We're not even thinking about like, if some of these people have kids, if some of these people have spouses that, or like family members that they file as dependents and depend on them, then another huge chunk of if you have benefits or if you're privately paying for benefits is taken out of your paycheck because everyone in Los Angeles does need health insurance, whether or not they get it is another story, but that's like two, two examples. Like, you know, um, one of the writers to the bear said he accepted a WGA award for writing on the bear with like a negative bank account balance. And, um, even Mm -hmm. on the sad side, uh, Kwan from, you know, everything everywhere said that, you know, like, I think, right after or was it after he won or like after or like right before it was like he he didn't get enough acting work to qualify for his health insurance and lost his health insurance Mm -hmm. despite like winning an oscar um so it's like you know it's highly dependent on booking your next gig and it's just yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this is and the collective imagination can come up with something yeah. better than well, that you and know this, for like, everybody state of precarity <laughs> is i think exactly what is meant when um like the statement was put out about how this creates a gig economy like this uh the the statements of the the company's behavior has created a gig economy inside a union workforce and this immovable stance in this negotiation has betrayed a commitment to further devaluing the profession of writing from their refusal to guarantee any level of weekly employment in episodic television to the creation of a day rate in comedy variety to stone uh, to their stonewalling on free work for screenwriters and on AI for all writers. They have closed the door on their labor force and have opened the door to writing as an entirely freelance uh, profession. And it does just like put everyone who wants to do this work and who already does this work in a position where they're like never going to know what the next day or next week is going to look like um, and keeps people in this like constant state of fear and anxiety that makes it very difficult for people to negotiate good wages for themselves um, cause you don't know when your next job is coming. So people are more likely to take what is offered, uh, when, when you're in this like constant state of precarity. And it is also like easier to have really significant like pay disparities if everyone is 
um, like freelance and like job to job because the like the description of what someone is doing can be so different if it is all and and can also be very unclear if everyone is just freelance that it's hard for people to know what others who are in the same position as them or who have similar experience levels or are in like equivalent jobs are making to compare and negotiate better for themselves because everyone is just in this weird like freelance position so it's not not great yeah i mean the gig economy is almost like strategically designed to keep workers uh separate and ununified um in because there's just no consistent um through line as to like who's making what well, and um, when you are and where it's um, coming from, when you are a employee. You have a uh, like a protected right to uh, collective action and, and collective bargaining. And if you are um, an independent contractor, you do not. Um, so that like significantly yeah. strips people of their labor rights. Like one of the things that you are entitled to do if you are an employee is um, like share your pay with other people. Um, but you could be fired for doing that if you are like freelance. Um, I mean, people are fired for doing that when they're employees too. Um, but it is illegal, but also like the enforcement only matters as much as people are willing to enforce it. But there is, there is no protection at all. Um, if you are an independent contractor in terms of things like sharing your pay. Mm -hmm. So that creates like massive disparities, um, between people. And I mean, that's why it's no surprise that like the articles that have been coming out or rather the articles that are pro or pro strike um, that have been coming about out about this writer strike, um, like compare the current status of like a, a writer to and like like the current status of like Netflix and like um, the disruptor market to Uber. Right. Um, like the variety article that goes really in depth on the writer strike and the, the like lead up to this. Um compared that very like clearly that like Netflix came in to the film industry and said like, we're going to disrupt everything and we're going to like change the world. And I remember very specifically when Netflix like stopped being just like a service that you could order DVDs from, like it was (laughs) like mail order um, and started being a service that was more about streaming online that they were like, we're going to come up with all these new shows. There's all this like crazy, cool, experimental TV we're going to make. It's the golden age of streaming. That was like the big Just like the golden buzz age phrase. Of um, yeah, the golden age of streaming, this this, and that. Um, and of course, it's like like most Silicon Valley, like um, startup culture bullshit. Um, it is all about innovation first and, okay. It's my cats. Sorry, I'm going to start that over. Like most Silicon Valley, you know, startup culture bullshit, it is um, innovation first and ask about consequences later or never. Um, And like, I think the it's I'm not going to say that like there's like like that this is like direct because I don't want it to blow back on us, but. I do think that, you know, there is a concentrated effort um, by a lot of industries and, and specifically it's it's very easy to see within the creative industries, but everywhere else, too, um, to make everyone more of an independent contractor 
rather than somebody who has uh, labor protections. It is a concentrated effort right now, currently in the U.S. at least, to turn this into a an entirely gig economy workforce. Um, and, and it might be fun. There should be it a lot of be efforts fun. against that. Oh, it's, it's going to be so you know, fun. That's something to think it's about. It's so fun. Um, so something else that I think is like interesting and i guess i just don't know if like if bosses are becoming more incompetent these days or if they just think they can get away with everything but um like there's a really interesting quote from um this deadline article that interviews uh adam conover who's on the like contract negotiating committee and is also the star of uh some tv show it, and the, the article is called Negotiating Committee Member Adam Conover on the Battle over AI and the Preservation of the Writing Room. Um, and something that he said was like that it was interesting the way that when the like response to the demands was was brought that there was there was just nothing and that like he, where the way like what he says is they made it very easy by giving us nothing. They didn't even do the thing where we expected them to try and maybe give something a little bit, maybe to screenwriters or maybe to TV writers and leave out comedy variety writers. They didn't even do that. Everybody's in the room um, where they said that there's nothing for me that they offered. So yeah, let's go on strike. They united the guild and I don't know why they did it. I think it's a terrible strategy, but that's better than them trying to divide us. Not that that would have worked. And that like, I think makes the overwhelming strike vote and like vote in favor of the uh, pattern of demands make a lot of sense to me because normally part of why, um, you know, that like those things don't have nearly unanimous support is that like bosses will give, they'll give a little bit to something like something that is really common um, that like Starbucks just said that they were going to do. And I don't know why they said they were going to do it because now, <laughs> now the workers can prepare for that. But they um, like the Howard Schultz was like, we maybe are going to, you know, we, we really offer such nice healthcare, like that is trans inclusive for all Starbucks employees. But, you know, maybe if the union, the union might not, they might not uh, want that in exchange, like, with the other things that they're asking for, we might have to take that off the table to pay for other stuff. So consider that um, before you unionize. And so, holding, like, you know, it pits holding your elderly mother and your fucking like girlfriend over like a lava pit, <laughs> and then being like, "Choose yeah, mine." But it's, you know, it's very common for like as part of negotiations um, to sort of pit like different groups of workers within the same union against each other. So then they have to figure out internally like what compromises do we make with like this thing or this thing, because they're already offering something that this group of workers within the union really want. And we don't want them to lose that, but like, how do we keep that and get the other things? And it, it always like leads to like discord and chaos, which is the intent. So it's fascinating to me that they asked for, you know, a list of things. And then what was brought back to them was like, you get nothing as opposed to maybe like you get a little bit of something yeah. so that there could and be some some strife <laughs> in in multiple there was a, there was a lot of like cunty little things that they said well, in this like, whole yeah, in like multi thing. for multiple points it was they rejected the proposal and refused to make a counter um which is insane 
And for the AI stuff um, in particular, because what the WGA said specifically was regulate use of artificial intelligence on MBA covered projects. AI can't write or rewrite literary material, can't be used as source material, and MBA covered material can't be used to train AI. And what the AMPTP said was they rejected the proposal and they countered by offering annual meetings to discuss advancements in technology. Ooh, I do love an annual Which meeting. Which is so nasty. Yeah. <laughs> what a nasty, it's so a nasty insulting. little counter. It means nothing. It's like, like, oh, wow, we get to now be in another meeting every like but like not like, that annual we don't even know what that helpful. means yeah. <laughs> like what like a powerpoint slides would be like th- these are how the robots are coming along to ruin your life um <laughs> goodbye like well, and i think also we will by, continue using this by offering like no one anything it has really united the labor movement that is like supporting the film industry and other people in the film industry that aren't writers in a way that is sort of unprecedented the last writer's strike was sort of like the way that it came to an end was that the DGA, which is the Directors Guild of America, um, in their contract negotiations were offered some things that made it difficult for like the writers to keep their strike going. And so and that is like also very common because each union is trying to look out for its own members and bosses know that and so then they'll they'll offer something that makes it hard for those unions to like stand together with each other because it comes at the expense of their own membership uh, but this time around i it does not seem like that's the the case it's like there's already so much involvement from other workers and unions and i think it is because of how how little of anything was offered as opposed to like something that would benefit other groups of workers. Like there is an article from deadline that came out May 1st about um, the Hollywood teamsters supporting the labor strike where um, the chief lecture, uh, chief Lindsay Duggerty or Doherty um, was on the picket line and shared some of her thoughts about it. Um, She said, like, there are folks that are working in the motion picture industry that are not making enough money to have a sustainable life to just be able to buy a home, which is insane. And it's especially insane when we're all working for employers that have billions upon billions um, of profits and projected profits in the future with the new model of streaming. So the majority and sorry, uh, it's the next thing, but it's it's um, you don't want to piss off off the Teamsters. It's not it's no, not good no. when you have them working against you as some members of Kendall's family have have learned to their sorrow. <laughs> um, <laughs> and like, you know, she's it's true. I, she's being like judicious <laughs> about how, how the Teamsters are going to support the strike because most labor unions have a no strike clause in their contract, which means that they can't go on strike until the contract um period is over like that's uh, why yeah like that that's true of like the dga um and sag like they are not on strike and they are still um expected to you know of course report for yeah whatever and contractual job that is pretty that common yeah. like normally a no strike clause comes with the concession from bosses that they will not do lockouts um uh, which is when mm-hmm. they they lock the doors of your job and it turns out everyone's fired. Um, and so like, 
usually a strike is happening in between contracts, which is what's happening in this case. And so she's like being judicious about like, okay, the Teamsters, they're not going to go on strike because they had like the majority of Teamster contracts, um, not just the ones that are, are exclusive to the motion picture industry. They have a no strike clause. However, the second part of our no strike clause includes picket line language, which says uh, that our members have the ability to honor um, a, a picket line that's sanctioned uh, by our joint council, which is just union leadership. Members cannot be disciplined or terminated for refusing to cross a sanctioned picket line. That is pretty much the gist of our agreement. And so like you can, there's the solidarity is already happening um, this morning, May, May 4th. Um, the Teamsters like refused to uh, like deliver things to the set of American Horror Story, which was filming. Oh, and billions as well. Uh, yeah, because like they can respect the picket line. The um, I think with billions, what I saw was that the Teamsters like joined the picket line, and it actually helped stop the production, uh, like the, the filming of the show that right, day. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and then with American horror story, like filming didn't stop, but teamsters still refused to cross the picket line, which like makes it harder for the work to go on, which is the entire point of the strike. And so it is like a, a huge help for that to happen. Also, this is really funny. Listen to this. Yeah. Uh, an American Horror Story crew member said that they were waiting for their union rep to arrive before they could leave for the day. But the crew member also asserted that actors on the show are entering through a studio back entrance so they didn't have to be seen visibly crossing the WGA picket line. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's way more unpopular than it was in 07 and 08 to be crossing the picket line. Um, and there's a lot more people who are pretty notable celebrities that are like throwing their weight around. I know that um, Drew Barrymore just like I think this and morning she's not or yesterday. Host the MTV, um, um, yeah, she awards. dropped out of the MTV Movie Awards. And some people might think like, well, what's the point of that? That like if if except for like the writers who work on an award show, because there are people who work as writers in an award show. And that's the point is to like throw your weight around. Um, she's a huge name now, especially like with her daytime talk show like taking off um and that's why they invited her to host these this award show and the idea behind doing that i believe at least is to create inconvenience like how the strike is creating inconvenience this creates more inconvenience the mtv uh, movie awards or music awards sorry um is happening in like a couple days so like for her to drop out this late is a big issue uh, like financially and just like structurally and logistically, it's just yeah. going to be really hard to find a new host. And especially with SAG-AFTRA um, like backing the WGA, we have a lot of actors who would be, you know, uh, going against their own union um, in order to host these awards. Uh, so the idea yeah. is to create even more inconvenience and throw your I weight would, around I, to somebody I who's would say, I would say even like in the last strike, like there are... I think I think like the WGA is pretty good about like having bigger writers, you know, like speak out like they're mm -hmm. like, especially, yeah, the WGA is like very vocal and stuff. I think pretty significantly last time Steve Carell 
refused to continue production um, on The Office mm-hmm. in support of the writers, which, like, you know, that's, like, a huge... I believe David Letterman said that deal. he was going to pay all of his writers out of yeah, pocket. and Conan um, O'Brien. In the last one. Um, the family yeah. guy. The, <laughs> the family guy. Yeah. But it is it has been pretty significant. Um, like, there was, like, a big meeting last night at the Shrine Auditorium, um, and... The WGA was joined by the DGA, SAG, and uh, the Teamsters, which like and IATSE they, and the Labor, yeah, the, like, the Labor's yeah. International Union of North America Operative Plasters and yeah, the Cement they're, Masons they're International much, Association. The six much unions. more, <laughs> much more united yeah. this mm-hmm. time, which is like and like in a very unprecedented way, which you would think that there would be more overlap. Um, like historically, but there has not. So that's pretty significant. Um, yeah. The, but the, the, I, I think both. The labor movement in the United States has been so weak for so long that I think that like union leadership is used to and ha- has like historically, like in recent, uh, like in the past couple decades, like accepted that they have to settle for scraps and often at the expense of other, of other, other workers. Um, but I think that the past few years, we've seen a real shift in people's involvement in the labor movement, people's opinions, um, on unions, like the public opinion on unions in 2007 was, way more negative overall Oof. than than it were, than it is now um and i think that that helps a lot um in terms of like what other workers are going to show solidarity with people in their industry going on strike even if it affects their own work and that that was like i mean like the thing last time and people were speculating since um the dga starts their negotiations i think may 10th and i want to say both sag and the dga's contracts expired on the same day which is june 30th um last time yeah like uh like you said that the dga kind of cut a deal that sort of undermined a little bit the D- the wga's ability to uh continue negotiating um so people were like oh are they gonna are they gonna undercut them again this time around and i, I would say like pretty much all of the major unions have been super fucked by streaming residuals so that's the main thing they have in common but like this time around the wga has a lot of writer specific demands that won't be solved by you know like just because the the dga makes a deal that doesn't address like some of their major issues so that isn't really like the same kind of factor this time around so it's just like Mm. yeah they they have a lot more to gain by yeah, and working in, together <laughs> in these times i'm always reminded of a a saying by former president and cancer son um george w bush where he he said fool me once shame shame on you fool me twice you fool me once you can't fool me again um which i think <laughs> is is very true with like shady labor negotiations because i think that like the the move that was pulled of like giving the DGA like something in exchange for undercutting the, like the writer's strike, it didn't work out 
that well, really for, for anyone. Um, like it maybe worked mm-hmm. out a little bit in the short term, but I think that in the past 10 and more years, people have had some time to reflect on, um, it might've seemed like the best deal that was available to them at the time, but it, it really wasn't that good of a deal. Um, like I, in Atlantic city, um, I know people that are in uh, IATSE and they were given a deal also in, in 2008 that was like, if we do a big pay cut, then we won't lay anyone off because it's the recession. Do you want to take a vote on that? Do you want pay a pay cut or layoffs? And so everyone voted for <laughs> the, the pay cut and they were told that they would get the money back like, or like that they would get back to their uh, old wage um, when when the situation improved. And then at the end of that year, the um, the CEO of the casino gave himself a big bonus and no one got their, their old rate back um, until they negotiated <laughs> for it again. And so like, no one is going to fall for that, that kind of offer um, again, because people already experienced it. And so I think that the like fear that the other related labor unions are going to get in the way of the writer's strike. I mean, it, it is like premature to say that it's uh, not possible, but I think that it is less likely because it's a completely different situation. Mm-hmm. How, okay, how can, yeah, how I, can we, people at home, Ted Lasso, head writers, pod, podcasters, how can we um, support the strike? I know that there is no call for a boycott of like any of the streaming services or anything, which makes sense. That is probably not necessary because the impact of the strike is going to be that shows are shut down. So there's no need to tell people to not support like TV networks or streaming networks. Um, and also a boycott takes a lot of work to organize. So it makes sense that people aren't calling for that, but there are probably some other things that you could do. Um, do you have any ideas, head head writer? I mean, I I would TV just show say, Ted I mean, Lasso. Yeah. <laughs> if if you're someone who is like pre WGA or anything, now is not the time to try and break into Hollywood. Um, so like, <laughs> don't, don't scab, don't. Don't scab a uh, main one. And I mean, I guess if you're in LA or New York or whatever, like you can technically also join the picket line. Like you, you don't have to be in the WGA to like go and show support. Yeah, there's, um, there's a Google doc right now going around um, from some of the writers um, where you can sign up to carpool um, and donate to supporting causes. I mean, you know, if you, live in LA or New York, you are aware that like, uh, driving your, hauling your ass over to, uh, the studios are, is probably going to cost you quite a bit of gas and these people are not working right now. So I think it would be, you know, a really easy material thing for you to do if you like are a person who is working nine to five and you're going that way anyway. Um, to, you know, help out, drop somebody off, um, at a picket line. Um, you know, there's, there's really like small material things that you can do if you live in certain places. I would also say, yeah, like not doing the work of the networks and studios by like talking about how 
the writer's strike is going to ruin TV or like ruin your favorite TV shows or whatever because that's not true. And also, like, if you're reading anything on Deadline or Hollywood Reporter or Variety, um, a lot of times that is shilling from the AMPTP. Um, So I would just read those with like take those with a grain of salt when you're reading them yeah, um, just a little media because, literacy yeah. yeah yeah i mean there's a great thread from um emily st james who um basically listed quite a few shows that at the time have are currently being listed in like twitter threads and articles of like ooh, these are the shows that the 0708 writer strike like ruined quote unquote by like striking and they caused them to be canceled or like fucked with and it's just like not true like some of these shows like like breaking bad um jesse was like meant to die at the end of the first season and then lived because the strike shortened that season and then vince gilligan and a few of the writers are like he should stay on and that's how we, we got you know if you're a breaking bad fan you're you're like favorite baby girl <laughs> um <laughs> you know uh like you know um she talks about like 24 just didn't air during the 07 08 TV season and completely skipped like and they they, just got completely skipped and then waited and for the 09 season and then just started running episodes again like and that was listed in some of these threads as like ooh, like 24 was ruined it just didn't air that year and it's just like it wasn't planning to air that year at all like it just wasn't part of it i have some stuff to say about that but i i also want first to talk about the the basilisk in the room, which is the demand to to not have, or I guess to to like, not have AI uh, in in the writers' room, or to like have AI uh, like an AI be trained on work that is written by WGA members. Um, one of the negotiating committee uh, co-chairs, his name is Chris Kaiser. He said, right now, I think we have a pretty simple philosophy, which is that AI can't be literary material. It can't be a draft that we have to rewrite. It doesn't mean that companies won't use it in some way. It can be research material, but it can't be literary material. I'll say this, no one knows exactly what AI is going to be, but the fact that the companies won't talk about it is the best indication that we have to fear it. And I think that the, like, what I, I guess, see coming maybe is I don't think that anyone is going to make an AI model write a TV show from start to finish. I, I don't think that that is possible. But I have friends that work in translation, and um, a lot of the time, clients who are stupid will run something through Google Translate and then try to get them um, to like to pay them to fix or check Google Translate's errors and then offer them a lower rate than they would if they were just having them translate something from like from start to finish. But the work is actually the same because you are still having to look at like the original text and make sh- and translate it and then make sure that what like like the Google Translate part of it almost doesn't even matter. Um, 
but that it is a way to try to argue that people should be paid less because someone can can make the case that half the work is being done for them. And I think that what I do see being possible and like possible in the next couple of years even would be having an AI model like spit out a fucked up script and then giving it to an even smaller team of people in a writer's room and then asking them to fix it. Um, when really what they would probably be doing is just writing. Um, <laughs> right. But I feel like I, I see that as being way more probable than I, I've definitely seen people doing some fear mongering or saying that like, there's no way that an AI could write a TV show. And it's like, yeah, I, I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's on the line right now. Um, but I definitely see ways that it can be used to devalue people's work, even if it doesn't, it, like it can't actually create anything coherent. Yeah. And I mean, like, that's a pretty big thing too, is that, um, you know, like something that you use from chat GPT is taking from stuff that you put into it. So it's not something that can, it, can be copyrighted because it's inherently plagiarizing things. So it's like, you can't, you can't use that. Yeah. Also like what I have learned in my unfortunate extensive research on AI is that current artificial intelligence models, like they have little to no training retention. So if you want it to be able to do mm -hmm. something, it needs to have already been trained on that. But then once you want it to do something else on top of that. You need to just retrain the entire model on those new rules. That's why ChatGBT, when you open it, says that it only knows stuff from 2021 and prior because it probably took a very long time to train it on. I don't, I don't know how, like two, 2000, the world is older than 2000 years. Um, many years <laughs> of, of, uh, Going by the evangelical version of, okay. of the, the history of the world, is who's to say who's correct? You it's know? at least okay. It's it's been trained on at least two thousand years of the written word <laughs> and like scientific progress and history and etc. And when you feed it new information, either as a user, like if you're chatting with it and you ask. Um, like, when did Joe Biden die? And it's like, no, Joe Biden's alive. Mm -hmm. And then you say, well, here's an article from May 5th, 2023, <laughs> uh, <laughs> about a car ride that he went on um, with, a, with a member of the Kennedy family. And that, like, it's not necessarily going to absorb that information the next time that someone asks it that question. It would need to be retrained on it. And that is just like a current limitation of AI. So I can't see really how it would be used for anything like for, for a creative project with that limitation. And then the other thing is like a technical limitation, which is that um, like Elon's open AI company, which is that's what's behind chat and like Dolly, they are not, it's not refining the AI algorithms at all <laughs> um, since it's come out. It just like runs it on bigger and bigger servers, which enables it to create more refined outcomes. And so if you are someone that's trying to pay for like an exclusive AI model, like maybe um, like you pay 
Elon or like OpenAI like rights to that model um, to use for your own independent purposes, like it would not be sustainable for a large project unless you also have the funds to like host a lot of a lot of server rooms. So it's like not really useful for anything besides right. like dumb pictures well, that and- you can post on Reddit. Or like Twitter jokes, like short short form stuff. Well, and that that would especially building something private would would be a, a huge incentive for movie studios and um, like you know you know show execs because like like you're you're running up like there's like currently like three different conglomerates that own all these movie studios and they're all competing against each other and if you're just using Chat GPT, which like you look at their privacy settings. Well, they I are would imagine that they scarce, would probably purchase you know? like an in, like an independent like they would, there would probably be an independent AI model and not like Chat GBT, right. but it would need to be something that right. they host themselves, and that would cost yeah, that's so, extensive, so, so much money. Which is, I think, what also makes the like refusal to negotiate with writers really insulting because there is no way that even in the next like 10, 15 years of AI development, that anything that could be used for creative projects would be more cost effective than paying writers a living wage. It is like about some sort of long-term vision to just cut, cut writers out of like creative projects altogether. Um, Mr. Mr. Bill Gates said recently oh. that he believes that he can make a chat AI bot that can teach children literacy and like eliminate educators from the equation altogether in teaching children literacy. And it's just really hilarious to me to think about a, a robot that is types like, uh, teaching a child who can't read how is to this read. Why don't you invent a fucking invent a fucking dick sucking robot first? Yeah. Okay, like is this maybe what that's yeah. more people were something that can like suck me from the electricity. Back. Is <laughs> like, this what they did when like new new stuff came out? Like when when the photograph came out, people were people like, well, oh, I this mean, is gonna well, I mean. Edison was, like, electrocuting elephants okay. to show off how his, like, electricity inventions could work. So, like, I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if they were... Like, I know that, like, when when movie studios were first, like, coming into invention, you know, um, way back when, um, there was a lot of fight over, like, the kind of ownership a movie studio can have over, like, the process and production of filmmaking um a lot of just like history like surrounding like can a movie studio also be a distribution house can a movie studio also like own can a movie AI theater be like my there was mom. a lot of like can ai uh, well like in like the 20s the in like the 20s and the 1910s there was a lot of discussion as like movie theaters and hollywood as it's known now was coming into fruition about whether or not distributors and filmmakers could be like which the same thing they like which now very recently (laughs) let the paramount consent decrees fucking expire which helped prevent vertical integration and Mm. they literally just ended them like i think they officially ended like Mm. last year i love vertical integration (laughs) to see i love how it's so like in one straight line and there's nothing just nothing like branching off at all or no other like little other lines coming in to help it's just one big thick unbreakable straight line 
I Kendall love that. Very That's recently so learned good. about vertical oh. integration on the last episode I we did. recorded. I knew, um. <laughs> I knew what it was. I didn't know the term. Okay, we all have different fields of knowledge. I literally just told you about the history of like of literal uh, vertical integration in the 1920s. I just didn't uh-huh. know the term. Um, this is only slightly germane, but I found this out today because this the article came out on Information Today, but the. Uh, Title is OpenAI's losses doubled to 540 million as it developed ChatGBT. Because again, like this technology is not, it's not profitable yet. And it probably will be a long time of like cutting out other workers' pay before something like this becomes profitable. It like would, but so, so here's what what it says. OpenAI's losses roughly doubled to around 540 million last year as it developed ChatGBT and hired key employees from Google, according to three people with knowledge of the startup's financials. Um, Even as revenue picked up, reaching an annual pace of hundreds of millions of dollars just weeks after OpenAI launched a paid version of the chatbot in February, those costs are likely to keep rising as more customers use its artificial intelligence technology and the company trains future versions of its software. Reflecting that capital drain, CEO Sam Altman has privately suggested that OpenAI may try to raise as much as $100 billion in the coming years to achieve its aim of developing artificial general intelligence that is advanced enough to improve its own capabilities. And so I guess like what I... C maybe is that like film studios bosses, the the guys behind Canva, um, like I can see the desire maybe to cut employee costs in order to have money to invest in this technology so that at some point that works out for you and then you can pay an AI to write you a movie. Um, but it should also demonstrate that it's it's going to be a while before any of this technology is like usable for anything. You can't get ChatGPT, which is probably the most um, advanced language model AI that is like publicly available to to write you a script for anything. It's not going to do a good job at that, um, and it's going to be like years and years before anything like that happens. And it would have to be trained on existing scripts for that for that to change, which would come at the expense of like workers pay. So maybe they'll bring that up at the annual meeting. Yes. Yeah. At the annual meeting to just discuss how cool this new technology is. God. Yeah. I mean, I think like that the refusal to talk about AI at all or to like, allow it to be a part of the negotiation process besides just offering an annual meeting is scary. And that is, it's also like just a bad negotiation tactic. I feel like if they had given them a little bit of something, then they could have done all of this work behind the scenes to slowly replace writers. Like they could have thrown him a bone, but now they've like keyed everyone into knowing that this is something to be afraid of and to like create as many protections as possible, like right now. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I think, I think a lot of people who were like not really clued into how AI can like fuck up the job market um, are now like really seeing the one-to-one 
Well, and um, you know what? Which is like speaking of fucking up the job market, the AI workers are also going on strike. Um, 150 uh, African workers that like work for ChatGBT and TikTok and Facebook, um, they they voted to unionize um, like just a couple days ago. Um, the there's a company called Sama, which they they make ethical ethical AI outsourcing is what they call it. Um, they're right. headquartered in California. <laughs> Their website says that they are the ethical AI supply chain purpose built for impact. Um, it goes on to say, we believe that connecting people to dignified digital work and paying them living wages can solve some of the world's most pressing challenges from reducing poverty to empowering women and mitigating climate change. But the workers themselves who have to, um, you know, watch like really horrifying traumatic videos um, of like death and abuse that also they also have to expose themselves to like hate language in order to train the AI to not use it. Um, they, they get paid around $1.50 per hour. So I'm not not sure what the living wage part of that is, but um yeah, uh, the, the they they did vote to unionize. I'm not sure where that's going to go, but I think that that is something also to like that I feel like makes me hopeful for what the writers guild would be able to to get is just that like AI isn't it's not like magic. It is it is programmed by people yeah. um, much like much like entertainment yeah. is not magic, AI is like not magic not either. Like, it's not free labor, um, which I think is maybe how some, like, studio executives m- may seem, like, th- think it to be, but it yeah, it is yeah. made by studio people. Executives, <laughs> not, I mean, like, not some of the lower level. There are, like, some creative executives that are just, like, trying to make shows, trying to get those made. But, like, a lot of upper level executives are just completely empty-headed don't know what the fuck they're talking about, have no idea what's going on and only know how to like chase numbers or like, yeah, they just think that this robot will just spit out stuff and they don't have to interact with human labor ever again. When the robot is actually human labor in a trench coat, like (laughs) you're not, you're still going to have to pay people like, yeah. And you will continue to have to pay people. It's not just like they'll create one perfect you know, model eventually, you know, it's not the kind of thing of, it's not actually a thousand monkeys in a room on a typewriter and eventually one of them will just create a perfect version of Macbeth. Like it is just a thing that will continually need to be updated, especially with software updates, different like um, compatibility requests. Like there is just things that will eternally need to be updated, just like every other app and every other system, it will constantly fall under the curse of needing to innovate. I have um, one final thing on ChatGBT and AI that I found out, and that is it's 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 been um it's been horrifying me ever ever since I read it. And I um feel like especially like in the context of the writer's strike, I have seen people who I think are cool sharing things where they like get chat GBT to like write an example of a TV show or something to show how, how bad it is at it. And like, we also have 
we've done something similar to that because it is funny to show that the, the machine is stupid, but we should stop doing that because, uh, a, re a recent study by researchers at the University of California revealed that the significant water footprint of AI models like ChatGBT 3 and 4, um, it like that Microsoft used approximately 700,000 liters of fresh water during uh, GBT 3's training, which um, they, they put this in terms that isn't helpful for me, equivalent to the amount of water needed to produce 370 BMW cars. Um, I don't really know what that is. It seems like a lot, though. Um, and this just, like, is a result of the training process where there's a lot of energy that's, like, being used, and then that is converted to heat. Because, like, if you're like me and you have a laptop that's from 2010 and it doesn't work, and when you open it, like, screws fall out, and <laughs> you then you try to turn it on, and then it's just, like, a white screen. It's one of our Patreon stretch goals. Um, Please help. <laughs> You know, it gets hot. It gets hot when it's not working and then you got to cool it down. And so there's like a lot of a lot of cooling happening in these like buildings with the servers that are um, powering our AIs. Mm -hmm. And that like heat um, makes it makes the water evaporate. Um, if you're familiar with the with the water cycle. Um, but then there, I think that it evaporates and I, then I don't know, we get no condensation. Um, yeah, like if you, if you have like me, if you have like a, a standing like desktop PC, usually inside of like the PC itself, you have a couple fans in order to keep the, the small scale, like, uh, you know, con machine contraption gizmo, what have you, uh, from overheating as you're working, okay. as you keep your computer so you, on. You've got a couple fans. Um, and a server needs you've like water. You've got a couple fans. You know? Microsoft, which like just struck a multi-year, multi-billion dollar uh, partnership with like the AI startup OpenAI and has built supercomputers for AI training, says that its latest supercomputer would require an extensive cooling apparatus and contains 10,000 graphics cards and over 285,000 processing cores. So it's a, it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of water. Um, not very good for the yeah. environment. Um, the like training process for chat GBT hasn't been shared, like how long it took. So we can only really make estimates about how much energy, um, was used, but, like a simple conversation where you're just having it answer 20 to 50 questions. The water consumed is equivalent to a 500 milliliter bottle, like dumping, dumping that out on the ground. And like everything costs energy, like use it using my laptop that doesn't work costs energy. Taking a shower is also like dumping water out on the ground. Um, but in comparison to like a writer driving to work and an AI model on a giant server evaporating the equivalent of like yeah. 700,000 liters of fresh water. I, I just think I would say you know, that apples like, and oranges. some environmental like impact is unavoidable with the lives that we lead. And I think other things like um, having an AI write you a Netflix TV show is completely avoidable and not necessary in order to have like a, a show on Netflix. And I think that the, the novelty of AI has led so many people who are dumb to think that they can just slap the word AI onto the beginning or end of whatever like 
product they're trying to sell us. Um, and that, that's not, it's not good. But I think also like maybe be judicious about, are you using the robot to like make jokes at you? Are you like using the robot to make jokes to post on Twitter? Cause like, yeah, like so, some things are unavoidable. I don't think that we can like completely eradicate our environmental impact, but we, you know, you know, we don't need to do that. Tell your own you jokes. Could just like, yeah. I mean, like making the robot tell you a funny ha ha, um, being the equivalent of like clubbing a, an alligator in the fucking snout. Yeah, it's, it's like, like um, I think you it's could. like NFTs, I guess, where like the amount of energy that like is expended to mint an NFT is a lot. It's also like you know you you yeah. if you take a plane ride, that is not so fantastic for the environment either. Or if you're like um, heating your home, not great. But maybe you like shouldn't be cold you know maybe it's really cold and it's like nice to be warm what does the <laughs> the, the ape what value does that provide yeah. to you in your life besides maybe that it's going to be worth a, a bit of money well maybe one day it'll be worth the equivalent of three hundred thousand dollars in bitcoin you ever think mm. of that virgil you ever consider do you ever consider that my ai model might be able to one day produce me a perfect, perfect copy, if not an enhanced copy of Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet 2, this time they live and they have guns for hands and <laughs> they, they go around and they just destroy both their families so they can have true love. Um, you ever think about how maybe that's worth um, burning the equivalent of like... Um, the kind of water that Nestle will steal in the water wars in 2020 fucking eight. Do you ever consider that that might be worth it? I, I haven't considered that. And thank you for bringing that up. And I think that to, to put like a, a bookmark, I guess on today's discussion of AI, I just want to share with you an announcement from 2022 back when Back when AI, or sorry, back when NFTs were like, they were still the hot thing in town. Um, I think that this, maybe this will resonate with a lot of you. Maybe it'll remind you of simpler times. This is from Twitter user Rare Candy, And they said, a lot of y'all still don't get it. Ape holders can use multiple slurp juices on a single ape. <laughs> so if you have one astro ape and three slurp juices, you can create three new apes. Tonight's Slurp Juice Mint event is essentially a minting event for both lab monkeys and special forces. <laughs> she go ape on my Slurp Juice till I mint. That was truly an historic moment when that sweet drop. <laughs> like, what, you know, we there's a lot of talented writers out there. But I don't know if anyone could produce anything as good as that. That's that's I think I what know. Hollywood should yeah, be striving for. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the what the slurp juice for the writers is going to be. You know, I guess that's what they're hoping the AI is. It's the big gulp at Seven yeah. Eleven that I get so that I can write a full episode of Young Sheldon full, in one full night. Piece of Lacroix, yeah. <laughs> so okay. The final, final thing 
is that I think that if you're not, you know, if you're like Ashlyn and you're very successful and, and you're, you're sitting the strike out at home and you're looking for ways to support, um, something that definitely you should be looking out for is the way that people talk about the strike. And I think, uh, like, especially things like the strike is going to ruin your favorite TV show or the strike did ruin my favorite TV show in 2008. And like, maybe it's cause I was a child in 2007, but I think people need to get over heroes. I did not watch it, but like, calm down. I would rather people make, make money. I don't know what happened on that show, but you could live without it. Um, but I think that like your, your favorite TV shows such as Ted Lasso, um, what are some other shows? Uh, Stranger Things. Uh, Young Sheldon. <laughs> Young Sheldon. <laughs> They're all going to get used as leverage um, to turn the public against workers. Already today, there was like a a little like see what you've missed out on announcement about how Saturday Night Live um, was going to have uh, one of its episodes hosted by Kieran McCulkin and Jennifer Coolidge. But now we won't get it because because of the writer strike and don't you feel sad that you, you missed out on, on that? Um, doesn't it make you sad? And we don't get to see Pete Davidson host an episode of Saturday night live. That was going to happen too. And and now we don't get to have it. Um, and it's, you know, I think Jimmy Fallon, he's already off the air. Um, I think all of the late night talk shows are James Corden, James (laughs) Corden. Um, yeah, he he dipped from late night uh, entirely to avoid oh, <laughs> to avoid yeah. having to pay his writers more. I'm sure. Um, See, we don't also, get any of these. Our favorite guys: James if, Fallon, uh, another way, James Corden, yeah. <laughs> James Kimball. <laughs> if you if you do want to like support uh, the striking writers, you can donate to the um, Entertainment Community Fund. Um, which is like, it used to be called the actor's fund, but um, writers can apply for, you know, like grants and stuff to, I mean, there's a strike fund, but this is also just a way to help fund the writers. Um, yeah. That's a, that's a good thing that anyone can donate to. And something if you that, feel we, so inclined. that we talked about last time was the way that um, like, digital media such as Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog on, on YouTube um, was a way to like undercut the impact of the writer's strike because the impact of the strike was supposed to be that the networks and also that the public like see how important writers are to their, their favorite TV shows and um, getting to, to have the things that they like. And so then someone who is a major Hollywood writer, such as Josh, Josh Whedon, um, coming out with his own thing and then putting it on a completely separate platform, um, really did have an impact on like how, how much leverage and how much like power the like the writers had. Not that I think that it, it ruined the strike, but just that it was, it was shitty. I think it was, it absolutely was an instance of scabbing. And I am interested in what you think, like, Cause we're in a different terrain now where at that time YouTube was new and Dr. Horrible like was sort of credited with um, popularizing YouTube as a platform because now it wasn't just for like weird internet people um, and people who wanted to watch Josh, 
Josh Whedon's new show. They they flocked to YouTube to see it. Um, Plus, Josh we had Whedon a wasn't, lot. wasn't canceled then. He wasn't canceled like right. he is now. Yeah, he can't do that these days. We're safe. Um, Where's Dr. Horrible 2? <laughs> but <laughs> where, where is, is Dr. Horrible 2? Don't, don't ask for that, please. The people demand. Oh <laughs> but I think that they're probably, like, I'm... I guess because there is so much digital media now that like someone producing digital media is not, it's not really taking away from the impact of writers. Um, so I, yeah, I'm just like curious what you think like would be um, something like similar to that, that people should be looking out for or that something that you think that sneaky, sneaky Josh Whedon types would be coming out with. Um, I mean, there's just so many other ways to, like, put content out, I guess. Like, I mean, I I don't know if anyone's really going to be doing stuff like this, but I guess if they're, you know, yeah, like, putting stuff on TikTok or YouTube or, like, Twitch or anything, um, there are things that, I mean, like, it's like, they really just don't want you going to like struck companies which is why like you know Josh Sweden's thing was like technically not scabbing but like I guess like yeah if if they're doing sneaky workarounds to still put out content like I just feel strongly that like the whole point is that you don't get your special treats like I know writers want to write and like people want to create stuff but like you're you're doing it for a reason right now. Yeah. Your workarounds aren't workarounds. Yeah. Um, and they certainly aren't loopholes. They are, they, they are simply an scabbing and, you know, engaging with that work is also like an important um, thing to not do. Um, they aren't calling for boycotts of streaming services and that makes sense. But when it comes to like concentrated work, like Dr. Horrible, where it's just like a like a skirt around of like, we're going to make a web series and it's going to be different and da, da 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 And, you know, we're making it with our own crew. Like that's, it's simply not like the big revolutionary message you think it is. And to be careful when looking out for people who are saying that. I also would be careful um, as like a, as just like a person on the internet, um, be careful with your choice of language um like you you might think like as you know as i like to say a joe nobody or a sally normal on social media like what what is like what i say matter but you are a consumer and the way that you create language like gains traction and i think it would be naive to assume that like the way that you talk about things online especially on websites like tiktok or twitter where like you can just kind of like your tweet can then like circulate to so many different people or your video um regardless of who you are um and like that like dialogue can become a part of like the fodder that amptp or anybody else can use to like um harsh the message so if you say things like oh well this is gonna ruin my tv show like that i like to watch like that's a kind of language that puts the onus on and the blame on like the writers as to like, why like now your favorite TV show isn't making something or is making something poorly. And that's just not true. And you should always like make a concentrated effort to blame the studios when you are tweeting or talking about something. Um, Because like the language that we use right now is just like regular people. 
um, is extremely important because that will become either ammo for one side or the other. So there's also I, like people that work on movie sets and stuff. Not everyone is rich. Exactly. <laughs> most yeah. of them aren't rich, exactly. and there are you know like most of them are very poor, <laughs> and, and carpenters and makeup artists, the and mason workers, and all those below, people who join the line workers that yeah that work on these sets that are also affected by these strikes um, because they don't have work. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Sorry. So I know, I know that scabbing is bad, but it seems like no one has an idea for how to like, you know, who's going to be the next Dr. Horrible. Maybe no one's going to do it. So I was thinking that maybe I could do it. Um, and I have an idea um, and maybe, maybe the two of you could help me and we could make a lot of money. It's, it's going to be short for, TikTok content and it's going to be in the style of like those like POV videos like someone's going to like sit down in front of the camera and start talking about like they're just going to share their thoughts like stream of consciousness and it's and it's also going to be an adaptation of Infinite Jest mm, like and, a 1000 part TikTok series yes <laughs> That's going to keep the people coming because there's always going to be more content for them. Infinite content. Infinite, Infinite content, scroll. which is sort of the, that's kind of the plot of Infinite Jest, like, because it's about a film that's so entertaining that, like, it kills its viewers um, because once they see it, they don't want to see anything else. So I was thinking maybe, maybe the two of you can help me cast my TikTok Infinite Jest um, scab content. Um, I, I'm just going to tell you some of the characters. There's, there's a lot, but we don't need to cast all of them now because I'm picturing this sort of being like a, a rolling, a rolling project. We film it as it goes. People just they get in front of their phone. We pay them fifty dollars, maybe, um, or maybe maybe a little bit more if we get some big names. The first main character is named Hal in Candenza, and he's like a tennis prodigy, and he's really really smart and good at school. But he has one secret, and that's that he loves smoking weed who who should be that guy i think it should be maybe timothy chalamet <laughs> you know i was also gonna be i was gonna say timothy chalamet just because i i think it's maybe illegal to like not do uh, a movie and not cast him in it um i don't know how he got those terms into his contract but it seems mm -hmm. like you can't you can't film a movie without casting him in it, so he's definitely going to be in this project. Yeah, so he's like, you know, I'm just picturing him getting in front of his camera and going like, "Hey guys, uh, story time." Um, so I was I was smoking a lot of weed, um, but don't don't tell anyone. That's sort of a secret. And then just inner monologue, um, and then it'll be like, like for part two, um, and that's when you meet maybe his his dad, James Incandenza. He's the the director of Infinite Jest, and he's also like a scientist, and he only directs avant-garde films. He he made Infinite Jest to connect with his son because he was like, "Why are you so like disconnected and emotionless?" Because he doesn't understand that his like it's because his son's stoned because he doesn't know that his son's smoking weed, um, and that's that's why he made the movie. I would say this would have to go to another person who is illegal to not cast, which is Chris <laughs> Pratt. Um, he'd probably be his dad um, he's in everything now too so I think it would be illegal and we would maybe be fined if we didn't put him in the movie that would be so good I would. I mean I guess you won't see them share a scene because each one's going to be like POV but I would love to see 
Timothy Chalamet and Chris Pratt um, just sort of feed off of each other's energy. The the next character is April in Condensa. She's James's wife and um, she's from Quebec and she like almost didn't get to move to the United States because she was too involved in leftist uh, radical groups um, when she was living in Canada. But she is very, very beautiful. And she's also had like at least 30 to 50 affairs. Oh, my God. My God. Who would you cast her as, as, Kenny? (laughs) (laughs) 30 to 50. That's like an impressive amount of juggling to be doing. I bet her her date book was full. (laughs) Okay. That's very good. I'd love to see her date book. I would love to see that little like pocketbook that she has. Just seeing like what lunch appointments she has the scheduled. The next character's name is Hugh Steeply, and he's like he's an OUS operative, and the OUS is uh, Office of Unspecified Services, which is the FBI, the CIA, the DEA, all the all the letter organizations, and he's like undercover trying to prevent the mass release of Infinite Jest, and he loves America and he loves freedom, but. Even though he loves freedom so much, he also doesn't want anyone to see Infinite Jest because he thinks it's going to be bad. Um, and his name is <laughs> Hugh, but also sometimes he is in disguise as Helen. Okay, I think um, I think legally I need to put in a role for my my muse uh, Ted Lasso, uh, <laughs> Jason Sudeikis in character as Ted Lasso as Hugh. Um, <laughs> I think I think he just wants to continue being Ted Lasso for like his own personal image. I think people is like he... Ted Lasso more than Jason Sudeikis right now. Um, mm-hmm. So, let me ask you this: If your version of Ted Lasso, like Jason Sudeikis playing Ted Lasso, when he shows up to his divorce hearings, is he still in full like Ted Lasso form? He's that's, like fully that's committed, how he right? Intends to win. I mean, like, how <laughs> else are you going to get full custody of your kids if not? as in mm-hmm. character if as not through the lovable Lasso. Yeah. <laughs> everyone loves ted lasso people hate jason sudeikis mm-hmm. but they love yeah, ted exactly um the we've got only two more characters for our main cast the next his name is remy and he's part of the uh the, the canadian or like sorry not canadian the french canadian terrorist organization called uh the wheelchair assassins and it's all um quick Quebec guys that lost their legs while playing a like a board game, um, but he's he's like a triple agent. We don't know if he's actually a Canadian terrorist or if maybe he's working for the Americans. Um, it doesn't seem like he knows what side he's on. He maybe is just going to do whatever it takes for him to pay for the medical care of his wife Gertrude. Um, but he's sort of a like a slippery French French Canadian guy. That's also a terrorist that maybe is not a terrorist. Hmm. I mean, I think it would be fun if Patton Oswalt played this guy just so he's only ever characters named Remy. I think he should be <laughs> the only one to be Remy characters. So what about that, I think that he could rat? pull off. What do you mean? Are, There's Ratatouille. Rat? <laughs> Who played him? Patton Oswalt. Wait, really? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, casting him as Remy, the French Canadian mm-hmm. wheelchair terrorist. 
Yeah. Do you think he can do a Quebecois accent? Do you think that's in his head? Quebecois? (laughs) I've read that word so many times. I've been afraid to say it. How are you saying it? How are you saying it? Quebecois. Quebecois. This is, this is, Mm -hmm. you know what? This is even for the time I called a. Peter Thiel, Peter Thiel. So I, I nice. just like I read words and I don't know how to say them, and they <laughs> become part of my brain. Mm. Um, the final main character, her name is Joelle Van Dyne, and she's the lead actress of Infinite Jest, and she's uh, described as terrifyingly beautiful. She was once Whoa. nicknamed the prettiest girl of all time, but now she is um, a part of the labor union of the hideously and improbably deformed. So she always wears a veil. And she claims that the reason that she has to do this is because her mom disfigured her face by accidentally throwing throwing acid in her face. But we're not sure if she's telling the truth or if she just doesn't want anyone to see how terrifyingly beautiful she is. Um, but she always wears a veil. And she's from Kentucky. Hmm. Hmm. I feel like she could be the tar. I, I the would conduct like tar. Yeah, Kate Blanchett. <laughs> I think. Yeah, or just tar. I think we could. I think I want to give. I want to give Megan Fox a new media role. Ooh, um, that would be I feel like, so good. I feel like that'd be that fun. Would be so good. Yeah. I feel like she would just. She would just really kill it, and she hasn't really gotten something like with a lot of weight since Jennifer's body, and I feel like that would give her like something really fun yeah, to play with so check out the um tiktok adaptation of infinite jest coming to coming to <laughs> phones near you casted by the lead lead writer of ted lasso um and, and two, two podcasters, podcasters. <laughs> it will undermine the writer's strike um it is mm-hmm. going to be bad for everyone but it's going to be good for content and that is that's what it's all mm-hmm. about and if you that's it, that is that's what, what matters. it's all about yeah and if you don't want to watch the tiktok adaptation of infinite jest then you can maybe just like donate to the like the strike fund or something it's up to you um, Entertain- <laughs> entertainment community fund at entertainment mm-hmm. Yeah, and we we will link that in our description too. Um, is there anything else that we have? Oh, Ashlyn, are you like are you on the internet? Do do you want people to look at you? Sure. I mean, be ogled. Yeah, like my my Twitter handle is my name, but with the at instead of the a. So, Ashlyn Thomas at Schlin Thomas yeah. on Twitter. I wonder how long uh, we'll have Twitter for? Oh. Probably not. I- Maybe not much For, longer. It's like it's and it's day to day. I give it basis. generously. I give it generously, like a year, maybe a also, year and like, a half. I I took a look at Blue Sky. Things and die it's slowly. Not, have okay. Have you this? This is the last thing I'll say. But have you been to the club? And then and you're like in a place where everyone is ordering bottle service. Do you know? Do you know what the the vibes at like a bottle service nightclub are? I used to like work bottle service, so that's I'm not that type like, of person. It's not worth I'm not a club I'm person, not a but service. I, I understand <laughs> this scenario. Okay, so it's like yeah. um, tech guys, uh, mm. other guys that have like lots of, or maybe they don't have lots of money, but they are friends with the tech guys, um, and they they want to show mm. off how much money they have, and then hot girls. And that's that's who is in the bottle service zone. 
And that is also like what the vibe is on Blue Sky right now. And this is no, nothing, nothing against the hot girls, but it is seemingly up to them right now to, to be putting out anything interesting on, on that site. Cause it's all, it's still like invite only. And so the tech guys right. invite each other and then they invite like some like cute girl from Twitter um, who like mostly post selfies. So it's just not, it's like, it's bad vibes on there right now. They haven't opened it up to the freaks and losers yet. Who, they need black who Twitter on the there. Sites alive. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's all, that's all I got. Um, thanks. Thanks for yep. listening. Um, thanks yeah. for watching Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso coming to Apple TV season <laughs> Yeah, keep streaming. Five. Maybe if, you, if it hits you 40 know, billion views, I'll get uh, $2,000, um, which seems fair. You know, they say there's no... There's no ethical consumption under capitalism, but, you know, as radical praxis, if you go to patreon.com slash big soy naturals, maybe or maybe not, we will leak <laughs> the next couple episodes of Ted Lasso. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, post, I'll post the scripts. From yeah, yeah, yeah. For If you if you give us five dollars, you'll get full sin. access to Ted Lasso. What? episodes i don't know through who cares all right good goodbye bye goodbye good luck see ya
Can you see it? If I smile into the security camera. Oh, I love you, sweetie. I'm seeing you in your bathing suit, and I love you. I'm blowing.